Good morning, DR. Oh, good morning, BO. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. As soon as I said the DR, I was like, oh no. I've set myself up for the way I was teased in middle school to reappear on my podcast. Oh, no. do, do you have a middle initial like that will break up the B and the O? BJO. Uh. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't help a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it presents other problems. It's problematic. So how are you doing? Anyways. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Uh, I am. I'm okay. I'm pretty good. Man, I woke up in the middle of the night last night. This is the thing that this happened to me. I, I don't have problems falling asleep, but I wake up at like five in the morning and I feel like very alert and activated and I don't know what to do about it. And, and I, it's, it's only like an hour. And so like, I'll just like kind of like eventually give up trying to go back to sleep for after half an hour and then I'll like read or something for half an hour and then I fall back asleep and I'm completely tired all over again. Hmm. So I don't, hmm. I don't get it. Yeah, that has happened to me in like stints of time where like I would, you know, a couple of days at a time or, or spread out over a couple of weeks. It happens to me multiple times. It's so frustrating because there's nothing you can do about it. Um. <laughs> when I wake up, I'm thinking about a lot of things like my brain feels activated. So I don't know if it's like I'm not winding down enough before going to sleep or like I'm just a little bit too amped in general or something. So I can't tell if it's like, is it a physical, th- like I exercised yesterday, uh, I spent some time outside, I moved around, so I don't, it doesn't feel like I was, I don't know, it felt like a brain thing more than a body thing somehow. I think it's happened to me in times where I'm especially like excited about <laughs> work or something that I'm working on, like where I literally can't stop thinking about it during the day and then I go to sleep and then yeah, end up waking up because again, can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> It happens to me sometimes when I'm stressed or when I'm excited. I think it's like I have like a light period of sleep at that phase. And if I'm agitated enough or whatever, like my brain's just like, let's think about stuff. Mm -hmm. And I come out of sleep. Do you do any sleep tracking? Do you have any devices? No, I want to. I want to get some some data on this. Like I, I would love to just notice like, oh, on the nights that I do this, it happens more often. And so I can kind of try to dial it down or like at least try some interventions. Like maybe if I did like a short meditation before sleep or something that would help. But anyway, other than that, I'm good. Uh, so I'm not fully rested, but I am highly caffeinated. Yeah. So I got back from the West Coast yesterday, visiting family for two weeks. It was a, it was a long stint over there. But aside from the poor air quality that we touched on, like it was it was pretty good weather. So I was like in shorts half the time and spending a lot of time outside, sunshine, all that. And uh, touched down in Minneapolis yesterday to 30 degrees and a light dusting of snow on the ground. So, yeah, it's um, it's gonna be an adjustment. <laughs> you moved to Minneapolis because yes. that's where Lead Pages was. Yes, and you were acquired by them, so it's like mm-hmm. okay, we kind of have to. Mm-hmm. And now, <laughs> what's your excuse? <laughs> Why am I still here? Yeah, that's yeah. what. Yeah, everybody, everybody's like, you live. Wait, you went. You lived where? And you went where? You went the wrong direction. Because I'm from where I am in California, I think I have a certain perspective on it that that other people don't. But like, you know, people picture California as all palm trees and sunshine and beaches and and all that. And that's definitely not where I'm from in California. (laughs) You know, it's the Central Valley. So it's a hot desert in the summertime. And that honestly is is just as brutal I think, as a, a severe winter, you know, like you don't. Yeah, I'm not saying you should move back there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you could move elsewhere, right? Yeah. But then ah, California, I mean, I could just rag on the state for, for a long time. But, you know, there's just like the places that are desirable to live are so prohibitively expensive. So you start looking at, at cost of living, you start looking at traffic, you start looking at 
quality of life <laughs> in general. And it's it's interesting to to kind of compare that to to Minneapolis, where yes, we have we have harsh winters, but we also have a lot a lot of the cool trappings that come with with an urban place, like very similar, I would say, to Portland in many respects, but not as crowded and things are getting real expensive in Portland and the same thing's not happening in Minneapolis at quite the same rate because I think the cold weather tax basically keeps people away. You get a lot of the good, but without the crowdedness and the cost. So if you can put up with winter, then there's a lot of like cool gains to be had. We have great park system, great bike trails. Like you can actually see your tax dollars at work out here, which is like something that's a completely foreign concept in California. I mean, the taxes are like the same <laughs> and it's like the roads suck and there's no parks and on and on and on. So, hmm. okay. Well, maybe you want, you just need to escape for a little bit during the winter. Give yourself a break. That's the key. I mean, last year I didn't really do that and my wife and I both regret it. So this year I have a, there's a tiny seed retreat happening in, uh, in Key West and well-timed. It's like end of January. So that's when you're just starting to really get the like, okay, I'm over winter <laughs> feelings, yeah, you know? Totally. Yep. And then, and then I'll be probably doing at least one other trip with my wife somewhere warm. So cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you have a coping strategy. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, you kind of learn from the locals, like what, how do you, how do you stick with it out here <laughs> right. okay. and then do some cross country skiing, things like that, you know? Nice. Yes. Today there's a, a mountain in New Hampshire that opened for skiing the first day of the season. And I was very tempted. Like I, I want to ski a lot this year. I'm pretty, pretty psyched on it. So going to get up there soon. To me, that's one of the best ways to like not dislike winter is to have a winter sport. So you're kind of excited for the snow. And the exactly. Cold. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that I fear. I think a lot of people fear the most out here is like, are we going to have one of those winters where it's brutally cold and there's almost no snow? Because if you, if you have the cold, you want the snow so then you can do stuff. Otherwise, there's not really much you can do unless you ice skate or something. But <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I had an interesting milestone this morning. Yeah, I think I saw a tweet about this. Yeah, um, I finally decided to turn off uh, payment notifications from Stripe. Just so inundated with those, oh, just so many emails. I just can't. Like, look, I'm not like I'm not drowning in them, but like it's it was enough. Like I, I started to have that thought a couple of weeks ago, and then it kind of kept happening, and I just kept being like, these are not bringing me a lot of value, and there's enough of them that it's like it's it it is slightly annoying, and so I, I finally decided to do it this morning. Yeah, no, that's that's a big milestone, man. That's congrats. That was really good. Yeah, it was partly because it was like, okay, these are like, like a little bit noisy and not providing a lot of value anymore. But also, I want to make my email a little bit more boring, like a little bit less, you know, like dopamine driven, or like my my life that way, I guess. I find myself dropping into that trap a lot of like, I want more brain stimulation. Let me check all these little inboxes and see who's got a, a nugget of dopamine for me. Email has been creeping into that realm for me. I actually have a I have a tactical question because you're a superhuman user, correct? Yes. Do you just load it up in Chrome or do you use their native or their Electron app? I use the Electron app. Okay. Is there a way to not have the red badge? Yes. That's a setting in there. It's a setting? Okay. Yeah. I've I've looked a few times and like I haven't spent a ton of time looking for it, but I just in my cursory looking, I didn't find it and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah. The red badge is for, they treat any email that's not processed as like a not yes. done so yes. there's like there'll be like a red a red three on the thing if you have three emails in your inbox of any kind like you just yeah that's their thing that helps push you towards inbox zero but it's also very distracting yeah i turn that off pretty fast okay all right i will i'll hunt that down <laughs> yeah also i think having your email open is probably just bad too like i'm mm -hmm. trying to do less of that mm -hmm. yeah it's like i close it 
but it's like persist in the dock. So I guess I can try to undock it so that it doesn't even show up there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, man. You got to fight. Got to fight the these dopamine peddlers. All these forces. <laughs> yep. They don't want you to. I mean, they don't they don't not want you to be productive, but they want you to be hooked on their app more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you got to watch out for that. Yep. Uh, so another thing that's happening, which is cool, is uh, actually yesterday uh, we released a new version of the app and there were two uh, really cool changes in there. So the first one is we made improvements to the webcam feature. So you can turn on a little face cam during your pairing sessions. And we made some changes so that it now is using less CPU uh, and also less bandwidth. So we lowered the quality a little bit, but it was already like kind of way too high. It was much higher than it needed to be. And so we're just doing some like basically downscaling. Very nice. I think you'll never regret investing in performance. Like it's like that kind of that Jeff Bezos quote or whatever. It's like invest into things that that will never change, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. S- super agree with that. Uh, and then also along the same lines, we tweaked one of our strategies for achieving lower latency that had a CPU penalty and basically got the same results, but with less CPU usage. Just kind of figured something out and... It still works. Uh, it's still as snappy as it was, but now it chews up less CPU. Mm-hmm. I love it. Just uh, one shovel full at a time, digging that moat a little deeper. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it feels so good. Like I love releases like that. You know, it's funny with our particular audience. Low CPU use matters. Like you would never advertise that to civilians, but for us, it's a competitive thing. It's an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. So, like your general purpose video conferencing platform is probably much less concerned about that type of thing and it just speaks to the to the value of positioning yourself to a niche and building the things that they care about in particular you know totally it's good exactly yeah so that feels good um we also i think pretty soonish we'll be launching our pricing page like that's in the final handful of steps okay steve is steve done with it now and uh, uh actually it's, it's not steve oh it's not this steve is, uh, yeah uh james mcdonald who is uh He's uh, like a Steve, you yes. know, <laughs> yep. Steve adjacent. Yep. Yeah, I've I've never met James, but I have recommended him more than one time because I know that Steve is unavailable. Or <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. That's what happened. I was like, hey, do you want to do this? He's like, no, but you should have James do it. And I was like, okay. So yeah, basically Steve. So he's done with that part. And so I handed it off to that other Canadian that sometimes gets mentioned on our podcast, mm-hmm. who is doing us a favor and, and converting it into HTML bits. Ah, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, because he has some experience with a certain CSS framework. Yeah, he may have authored one or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think so. That's another milestone. Like, okay, now we're like, we have prices on the internet. Like, we're we're a real company now. And we'll finally be able to close the loop of like signing up without a weird email dance, which hopefully will drive even more trials. That'd be cool. But also just won't be as goofy. Make us seem more legit. And along those same lines... I just selected some finalists for our the tuple t-shirt contest that I'm running on 99designs. So we might have some like corporate swag pretty soon. Oh, nice. So you already you already have a t-shirt, right? We have the pair programming t-shirt. Okay. Um, uh, and this is more like a company t-shirt. It's got, got our it. logo on it and our name, things like that. Got it, got it. Yeah. What's the reason for not just taking your logo and slapping it on a shirt? Like, do you, like does it need you know, d- design in touch, retrospect, but... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably could have just done that (laughs) yeah i was curious to see if people could come up with more interesting things and some of them did there were a lot of misses there even the ones that are finalists there's like well we need some tweaks to this and a lot of times it's just kind of like my thoughts are like this is good but just simpler 
And so it was kind of like, I was like, what if it were more complicated? And it's like, mm, it might not be better. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, that one maybe lesson learned there is like this one could have just been a little easier. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. And the last thing that's been sort of on my mind is that, and this is not a mystery of how to do better about this, but like people keep asking us for things that we already have. Mm, mm, yeah. And it's, yeah. It's like, we are not doing a great job of educating people about all the stuff that is there. What are you doing today to to educate people? We have like a two email sequence, like when you create an account. So the first one is like links to lots of things, including docs and roadmap and all that that stuff. And then the next one is kind of like pro tips, like things you might not have known. And there's some more things in there. But we need more, actually. The The goal is to make this more like event driven. Like don't send a lot of emails, but send the right emails. Like note, like get the analytics in place and we've, we've already started this so like like track what people are actually using or what they haven't used and then email them about that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. i think yeah i would like to hear you report back on progress on this because i feel like this is i don't maybe it's just me and not like my market or maybe it's not a general statement that i can confidently make but i know for myself i've now been buying SaaS apps for long enough like i get so annoyed now by like your typical onboarding sequence that doesn't really speak to to like your specific needs like it's like every time i sign up for something it's like oh here's the welcome email and here's like and the welcome email all right so this is trope in welcome emails that i would like to see go out of style which is reply right now and tell me your biggest priority with whatever yeah yeah i'm okay we can we can retire that (laughs) yeah I get why people do it because you want that data right away, but totally, I get uh, it, and it also like improves your deliverability because people are responding to the email and you know establishes some rapport perhaps. And so it's I don't think it's a bad idea. I just personally have seen it so much that now I just like I'm just kind of like rolls I roll my eyes when I see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was probably I mean it was probably novel at first when when it's like oh this company is not sending from a no reply but they want me to reply. But right, yeah, yeah. Now it's like like everything kind of overused and i'm mostly just old and jaded now so it's, mm-hmm. it's not really the fault of that phrase right right yeah. but yeah i, I want to try to do a welcome email that's that's good that's better than the average welcome email i have some thoughts we'll see where it goes those are the things in my life cool cool um so i've been working on a mailchimp integration with static kit and i kind of teased this on twitter and it got more excitement than I had expected. <laughs> so, so that was, that was cool. It's kind of been in the, in the plan that I have a Zapier integration, so you can technically wire up, you know, your form to any service, but I want to pull in and make first class the, the kind of most, most used or most requested integrations. And I've gotten asked about this before. And I, it also kind of aligns with like, what are the, what are the use cases that I want to put forward as I'm kind of expanding my education and my guides and my how you can leverage static kit on your site. Email opt-ins is, is certainly one of them. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who've had a lot of pain around trying to just take like the stock markup from MailChimp or ConvertKit or even Drip <laughs> and make it function how they want it to function on their site. It seems like a, s- a small problem, but it's like, it's pretty painful, especially if you're building landing pages all the time or it's just annoying enough where it's like, there's no reason why I can't just make this really smooth because I already have a form service in place, you know? I also learned some interesting things like I heard from um, Paul Jarvis when I when I teased this on Twitter and he was like, oh, is this going to be able to like add or update 
a subscriber because you can't do that with MailChimp right now. And it's super annoying. And it's like, oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I saw that tweet and I was like, oh, this is good. This is good data. Yeah. So I'm already thinking about like, what is the um, the MailChimp landing page, like like education page on Static Kit that kind of markets the feature? What is that going to talk about? I already have kind of a bulleted list of things to touch on of like things that it smooths out. So yeah, that, it's that that feature landing page has, has been on my mind lately. Like this is one thing that we're like just doing a terrible job of is like we have a number of cool innovations or things that we do and like they should totally have their own pages. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's that. It's kind of how I'm thinking about. I mean, it takes a lot of energy and effort to do that but again that's kind of the investing in the investing in design you know and yeah and trying and to educate it like giving people a place where they can see what you can do so that they like fixing this education problem that we have or like or like helping work on yeah, it totally totally i think it's interesting that like you're getting good feedback by talking about this thing as you're building it like before it's done and when you can still incorporate it yeah like that's yeah like, that's like one benefit of, of working in public i think Exactly, exactly. So I and I'm getting really excited thinking about I kind of have like thoughts about the the payment stuff that I teased a little bit last time. And I'm going to kind of run a similar path, right? Like I have ideas about how I think it should work. But I think I'm going to get a lot of like potentially interesting <laughs> feedback from the community just by just by kind of like talking with with concrete details like this is what the config might look like. What do you think? And yeah, I think it could be really good to to continue that. So cool. We should probably do more of that, mm-hmm. like just soliciting feedback earlier on in the process. Yeah, couldn't hurt. I mean, mm-hmm. worst case, worst case, it's crickets, and then it's like, oh well, sure. whatever, you know. Yeah, and maybe you take that to mean no one cares about this. Right, right. Yeah. So that's um, that's wrapping up pretty soon. Like it's actually working and it's deployed but I haven't documented it yet. And there's uh, there's a few loose ends like, yeah, <laughs> like I need to, you know, when you look in the UI and you look at your list of actions, it like needs to show a MailChimp logo in the place where I show like the, what the integration is tying into and like just some little things like that. But yeah, for the most part, it's working, which is really cool because I'm trying to imagine like this feels valuable because if you can't get the MailChimp default form to work properly, maybe you, maybe you want to control the redirect flow better. You don't want to, you know, you you want to send yourself a notification email from Static Kit and send send it into Mailchimp, or maybe track an event in Mailchimp, which I'm going to add next. They have their event event API where you can trigger automations. So if you want to do something like that, like you could potentially write your own you know serverless Lambda function and deploy it to Netlify or Zite or whatever. But it feels like early days for these functions, and I feel like a lot of times if people do that, they'll end up writing it and they'll only consider the happy path. I mean, serverless functions are cool and all, but you don't necessarily have a database at your disposal or a retry queue, you know, unless you think about like, well, maybe I'll pull in like some like a queuing service or a Redis database or something to like handle that. And before you know it, like you're kind of implementing a complex mini application just to handle the case of like, what if the API call to MailChimp fails and I need to retry it? You know, (laughs) I'm also liking thinking about I'm doing a lot of positioning thinking, which I'll touch on in a little bit one of the value adds of a service like static kit even though like yes theoretically you could you could crank out a 30 line lambda that probably does something similar but it's not robust unless you spend way too much time on it and then in that case you've probably you know it's probably a waste of your time to be kind of reinventing stuff that is a solved problem and you could just pull off the shelf i like where i think you're going with this Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but I'll, i'll let you keep going 
Yeah. So, well, so I'll kind of go into um, on the plane yesterday. I read April Dunford's book. <laughs> I went to go purchase it and then I realized I had already bought it and I already made it like 20% through <laughs> back, <laughs> okay. in, back in May, I think, because nice. I remember when it came out and I was like super excited about it and I know I bought it and, and or I now realize that I bought it and started to look at it. But at the time I was that was when things were in flux and it wasn't like immediately actionable for me. So I think I just put it on the shelf for a little bit. I kind of made it through. It didn't take me that long to read it. And I will just say, I, I love these types of business books. Like I, I put it right up there with the mom test in the density and actionable advice in there is really nice. It doesn't steer into the theoretical or like, let's talk about the history of positioning. Like it, she gives you just enough to say like, this is kind of where positioning started. This is the, the typical um, knowledge you'll hear about, you know, positioning statements and here's why they're bad. And here's why, <laughs> here's the methodology that I developed in my you know experience of doing this. Um, so that's awesome. a, yeah, I mean, it's telling to me that you finished it in, in a plane trip. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard her on a podcast talking about how she decided to publish this herself, partly because traditional publishers were kind of putting pressure on her to make it a certain length. Yeah, yeah. Longer than she wanted it to be, which I think is, I mean, ridiculous and also great that she just said, no, screw you. Right, right. That's caring more about your readers or your, you know, the end users of your product than it is about your uh, your distribution or trying to get like, yeah. To have a certain spine width on a shelf. Yeah, right, right. I love the anecdotes at the beginning of the book. She talks about like the the Joshua Bell experiment where kind of talking about the importance of setting context <laughs> around how you position your product. And like, you know, so this is in this experiment, Joshua Bell is like a great violinist, packs out concert halls all the time, sat in a subway station and played the exact same stuff that he would play from the stage. And nobody sat and like was captivated by his by his performance. And some people even considered like, reporting him to the police because it was really loud so it just shows like context is super important you know i've been thinking a lot about this because the path i'm taking the static kit is start with a kernel of something and expand from there but how do you make it how do i make it interesting enough and look forward towards my eventual place i want to be without overselling too early <laughs> and that's kind of i feel like a tricky balance like so i started just saying like this is a form service i was like modern forms for static sites and I think that's like, okay, but doesn't, it doesn't sound super valuable. And it's speaking mostly to what it does and not what value it provides. And so there were a lot of problems, I think, with the, with the positioning I had before, but it was just, it was just such a kernel of an idea and an implementation that I didn't, I didn't have a solid idea of like, what are people going to use this for? And how is it valuable today? And how can I project that? And now after getting, you know, I have more users, not a ton, but still more data, more users. And as I'm thinking about expanding, like I'm kind of just always thinking about how can I keep the positioning evolving, looking towards something more compelling. And I did recently update uh, the marketing site. I think it, I think the positioning is much better right now. Folks can check it out, staticit.com. Some some of my takeaways from her book, I, I liked that she touched on, you know, kind of what to do when you're really early on. Uh, because that was a concern. A concern of mine is that I don't have a huge sample size to talk to of like actual activated users who have kind of a diverse range of of use cases that I can kind of spot patterns in and see what like where where are people getting value and how can I steer the positioning towards that. You know, she says if you're early on, it's best to keep your positioning pretty loose and think of it like a fishing net. 
you've built this net, but you don't know what kind of fish it's best at catching. And so keep your positioning loose until you until you know that and try to get it in front of a large, diverse sample size. It was good validation for the kind of the approach that I'm taking right now, where I feel like that's the stage I'm in where like there's there are a lot of people this seems to appeal to based on, you know, free signups that I'm getting. But I'm still working through the process of identifying like who are finding it most valuable, you know, and and for what use cases. So the thing that you were touching on earlier in the place I thought you were kind of going positioning wise was like, okay, like if this works in the happy path, but it kind of falls apart if it doesn't succeed and you don't have retries and all that. I was sort of expecting you to follow up with that, like that you are interested in targeting people for whom like every email is potentially very valuable. Mm, mm, yeah. It's like you can kind of take that part of the market and be like, yeah, we care about like if, if you care about every sign up a lot, like you don't just want any form endpoint because what if it fails? This matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting path to take it. I mean, because that's yeah. And that also aligns with like if you if you care that much, then this is this is important to you and you're probably willing, you know, more likely to pay for it. And uh, right. you, know, have a more you don't want the case. cheap one. Right. You want the best one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Or I think even just appealing to the developer who, since I'm, I'm marketing this, positioning this towards developers, and we tend to think that like, oh, we can just roll anything ourselves. Like, why, why buy off-the-shelf service? I know how to code. I don't need your thing. I think it could be interesting to, to just weave into the copy a reminder that like, I know you're capable of doing the simple implementation of this, but think about how scope could spiral out of control on this and, and find yourself spending a week, week and a half making this robust. And it's like, wait, this this is just gathering email addresses important for our business, but not our core competency. We're an app that sells blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Why am I spending all my time on this thing when I could just have all that done for me? You know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so I have, you know, a couple pages of notes and thoughts that it, reading this book spurred on, which is which is always nice. I also thought one other interesting anecdote was like your investor narrative. And I put that in quotes because even if you don't have investors, I think this this applies like the narrative that you craft around, like what's my long term vision for this thing shouldn't necessarily be the same as your customer positioning. So like if you think of your platform as like for me, it's like it's this it's this diverse suite of tools, everything you would need to complement your you know, your static site. And that's like the end state I want to get to. And if I were, you know, pitching VCs, that would be in my deck for sure. <laughs> that doesn't belong on the on the marketing site yet until you actually get there. So it's like making sure that that the customer narrative speaks to where you're at today or where you're going to be, where you're headed in the near term, you know, instead of like like getting too, um, too often to the theoretical, um, which is a good reminder. Sure. A separate topic I have a question for you about. I remember hearing from some other tiny seed people that Rob and I and are like help them like kind of set a goal an MRR growth goal to like hit by the end of the program. Have you done a, a similar thing? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm one of them, so I got a, mm-hmm. I got the goal. <laughs> yeah. How do you um, feel about the goal? Uh, it feels ambitious, unlikely to be achieved. So I have regular check-ins with Einar. He's the designated like hold you accountable check-in guy on the team each month. It's like, all right, so what in the near term, what are you, what goal are you trying to achieve? And ideally it's an MRR goal, but even, but in my last call that I had with him, I was like, you know, I feel like right now I'm not, I'm not super focused on gathering 
new customers just yet or like converting people into paid. I'm still I'm still sussing out my what my pricing model should look like. I think I need to I need to reevaluate it. It's it's not definitely not in its final end state right now and still working through some of these product questions and and how to expand the suite and I just feel like it's not it's not my immediate term goal to like go convert new people to paid in the next, you know, 3 weeks. And he's like, "Oh, that's totally fine." Then what what goal are you trying to achieve and what can how can we quantify that? So yes, there is like an end of end of batch number that I think I think most people who are at a similar stage all got the same number. <laughs> so I think it would be very unlikely for me to hit that in that quick of a time period. I'm glad that it's not too much pressure to try to to try to meet that at all costs, you know. Um, which is good. So what did you end up setting as a monthly goal that wasn't MRR focused? It was product milestone. So I said I wanted MailChimp and and version one of payments shipped within the next month. Cool. So yeah. is that by December then? Uh, yep. Sometime, yeah. Mid-December, early December. Okay. Cool. So I'm now it's public. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. You let it out. Yeah. Cool. Well, it sounds like you're on your way. The MailChimp thing is semi-shipped. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And... And there was, I mean, as often happens in these things, like it was the first of its kind of an external integration that hooks into form actions. So there was there was some machinery to rework in the background, um, some refactoring to do to, to set it up for that. And that I won't have to pay that price again. So the next the next one will be much faster because I'll just kind of replicate the template that I set up in my code for MailChimp and just swap out URLs and <laughs> and massaging params to match their API and boom it's done. So cool. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well anything else? Uh no, I think that's it for me. All right. Show notes. Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.